that dear voice. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers. And I'm co-host Travis Owen. And on today's episode, I'm really excited because we're sitting down with my father-in-law, my deer hunting mentor, and truly the real deal, Big Buck Killer. And he's got a lot of information to tell us about early season whitetails. I know we talked about this last year, but I mean, he just continues to go further and further down this early season whitetail rabbit hole. Action Jackson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I, I, I think we just need to get right into the podcast to really, you know, I, I keep amping this episode up, but I'm just, I was so surprised on how deep we went into you know, whether it's food sources and the time of the day, the forecast, the weather situations, are you calling, are you not calling, all those things that, you know, all those questions you have in your mind about how to hunt these whitetails in early season, I feel like he nailed every point. Yeah, you, might, some. you might have to watch it or listen to it a couple times because uh, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's a lot of information and... Uh, it's kind of spread. Kind of hard to, to uh, soak it all up in one go, but uh, good luck. Well, with that being said, Travis, let's go ahead and get into it as we talk with Matt Jackson. All right, we're rolling, Matt. Thank you for being on this podcast. I know it was short notice, but uh, if you haven't heard from us in the last couple weeks, damn COVID got two of our guests, so uh, we're going to have to reschedule with them. They're doing well, but uh, we we couldn't do that those episodes. But we're here with Matt now, and I've been really excited to get this podcast going. I was hoping to get it done closer to September, but under the circumstances, I give the audience plenty of time to listen to this information and really dissect it and hopefully execute with what you're going to give us today, Matt. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, no problem, Stephen. Glad to be here. Well, uh, you know, you were actually on the podcast, uh, it was September of last year, and, you know, if folks want to listen to that one and kind of hear about how you progressed as a hunter and, you know, what got you into hunting and all that good stuff, you definitely should listen to that. I mean, it was back in our earlier days, so, you know, we were recording with a phone, and we were cruising gravel, so if you're an audio snob, you might not like it as much, but we are going to go over a little bit of the strategy that we did have during that last podcast uh, last year, kind of rehash some stuff out, and I think we're going to get into a little bit more detail when it comes to early season and chasing them whitetails. Are you excited, Matt? I am. I am excited, Stephen, because I've been uh, eyeballing a pretty good buck. You know, on the days I know you're at work, I go back on your place, and <laughs> it's a pretty good buck back there. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you letting me know beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> no. There won't be by the time you get around to yeah. it. you got to work September 15th. <laughs> yeah, probably. You're in trouble if you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it turns out I, I do know a little bit of your schedule, you being my father-in-law and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that you just got done putting up in, putting up your trail cameras. So uh, are yeah. you doing anything else to get prepared for the, the upcoming what? season? You know what? I'm almost embarrassed about you saying that on the podcast because this is the very latest I have ever put up trail cameras 
since they came out, since I was, uh, you know, back in the days of 35 millimeter film, you know, is the way we used to have to do it. You buy 24 or 36 exposure, and if there was a branch blowing uh, in front of your camera, too bad, so sad, you know. Uh, it was a little different back then, but I mean, even back then, I never once put them out this late, and I do have a a fairly good excuse. You know, my father passed away about two months ago, so, uh, you know, I've been busy taking care of, you know, what all comes along with that, so uh, that is my excuse, and, and it is, it is as good as it gets. That's a valid one. Yeah, yeah I'd so, say pretty valid. I didn't even turkey hunt this year, man. I'm, I'm, well, I shouldn't say I didn't turkey hunt. I, I turkey hunted with your wife, uh, my daughter, oldest daughter, uh, for about two, maybe three hours on the very last weekend, uh, the last day, I think, maybe even. I can't remember. It was Saturday or Sunday. Uh, and we called in. A, we called a Jake in. Uh, she could have shot it and opted not to, but... The only turkey hunting I've done, and that's unbelievable because I, I like to hunt every day, you know. So, <clears throat> but just give them another year, you know. Right? Yeah, it was just had an, to give them a break, man. Odd, odd year for me, bad year for me as far as that goes. Uh, but I'm thinking that the season, the bow season, uh, you know, it's okay. Those big bucks, they're going to be there, and and uh, I'll get some pictures of them in time to decide where i'm gonna hunt and i've already got my eye on a couple you know from last year so i think it'll be okay it usually does work out pretty well for you <laughs> during the bow season um i'd have to ask though uh you know what what time of the year are you noticing when you get pictures of these bucks that uh you're going to be seeing those same deer in the fall do you find that uh you're you're getting those bucks all summer long just with the way your property is set up that you can hunt or are you finding there's a certain time period where it gets a little bit more like oh he's going to be sticking around no okay so here's here's the story in a nutshell um the reason why i like early season so much is the fact that the opener is september 15th you know, back when the opener was October 1st, not that I didn't uh, like early season and, and do fairly well even then, uh, but things were different in the fact that you have that, what they call the, the October move, you know, is what I call it, uh, fall move, whatever you want to call it. But the bucks that you've been watching all summer long, they tend to move about that first week of October, the last week of September. And they moved to um, their their fall and winter, I guess, area. So, you know, it's back in the day, I'll say, you know, years ago, back in the 35 millimeter days, uh, you know, I'd be watching this buck and, and have him, you know, I think, I would think I would have him pegged and, and uh, it was just a matter of going out there and making a good shot and, I would go out there and never see him again or not see him again until the rut. You know, they'll come back through that particular area in the rut, or I would see him on another farm three or four miles away. Had that happen many times. Um, so I'll tell you, though, now um, if you have the proper food source um, to draw them for the early season, then – there's a good chance if you've been getting pictures of him, you know, all summer long, 
in that area, then he's still going to be there, you know, for you September 15th, 16th, the 20th, you know, right on up to the 30th. And then he very well may move, you know, uh, anytime after that. It's They still move. So, you know, obviously in Missouri, season opens September 15th. Other states like Kentucky, September 1st. Some states like Iowa, October 1st. Um, before we get going on talking about early season, in your mind, in your experience, and the things that we're going to be talking about, we want to make sure that when we're talking about early season, that when you do these things, that we're not getting out of early season. So in your mind, when is early season? When are the dates? Like, I know they probably vary from year to year, but if you could put a date of when it starts and, and to when it ends until you're transitioning into something else what would you say early season is for me you know once you get to the first of october or the first couple weeks in october because then you hit that october lull you know where everything seems to disappear they're not coming out till after dark and a lot of that is, is is the acorns start dropping so they spend a lot more time in the transitional zone you know where they they spend a lot of time that last 50 to 75 yards inside the timber before they come out into the daylight or the last of the fading daylight, uh, you know, picking up acorns. And so usually their first, second week of October, you you really have to be in the right spot, you know. Um, so you'd say about the end of that second week of October, Maybe even a little bit before that is when your early yeah. season's winding down and yeah. you're getting into a different period of yeah, the hunting a, season. It's a whole different hunt after that. For okay. Me. And then I know you mentioned something uh, earlier about how it's a staging area, is what it is. You know, that time they, of the year. Yeah, they. It's. I think that's what most people call it as far as the terminology is a staging area. They kind of stage in that last 75 yards of the timber, and and they're making rubs. You know, at that time of the year, there's not a lot of ground scraping going on, but there is some. Um, but they're they're rubbing pretty good on the trees. You'll you notice that if you have a food source, say you have beans or clover or whatever it is that you're hunting around, and the deer are, are coming out into it every night, you'll notice that that area just inside the wood line, you know, for like I said, 50 yards, that there's going to be a lot of rubs in there, and that's the, there's going to be even more and more as, as it hits October 1st and the first week of October because the acorns are falling, so they're spending time in there picking them up. Even the does are, are later coming out at that time. Well, I've heard you mention it a couple of times, but I just want to make sure I want a, a little bit more of a concrete answer. And I know we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast we did last year uh, around September, but what are your favorite early season food sources to key in on during that, you know, September 15th to the second week of October time frame? Well, it's hands down, you know, it's the greenest stuff out there. As you know, everybody's going to have something different. You know, not everybody's fortunate enough to have uh, several farms where they can go and find the number one food source to me. So, you know, you're looking for what's greenest, you know, and, and for some people it may be clover still, unless but these say any kind of those grasses, you know, that uh, deer like the clover is a good one. Uh, but for me, the number one food source, I know that's what you're wanting 
is is what I call wheat beans or late beans, and it's it's when a farmer's put wheat in, and so you have that winter wheat, and you in the spring, you know, you're hunting turkeys in it, putting your decoys out in it, and then as time progresses, you know, the wheat matures and they take the wheat out. Well, by that time, they've already planted all their beans and corn and all that stuff's already been planted. And it's a long ways ahead of of their next planting, which will be beans again on top of that wheat. And that's why we call it wheat beans. And then those beans are not going to be nearly as far along when the season opener hits. September 15th, they're still going to be immature. They're going to be green. They're going to be fresh. And the deer are going to be loving it. That's where they're going to be. For me, that's the number one food source at that time of the year. Awesome. Yeah, no, uh, just because I know you, I, I, I do, you know, tend to lean, lean into some questions that I know you'll answer and uh, that are, are is good information because not a lot of folks know about late season beans. When we talked about it last year, I had a few people tell me that that was something they never really thought about. And this year, it just seems like in our neck of the woods, it's going to be more prevalent because of the weird weather that we've had all summer. It's been really strange. I saw I actually, uh, driving home the other day, I saw there's a field that, I mean, real small bean sprouts just now coming up, and I just noticed because there was about 80 geese in there. Well, and the reason for that is because just about the time that these farmers were going to get that weed out, that rain started again, mm-hmm. and it set in for a while, and right. so I know here... Uh, where my where my mother lives um, they got the weed out and the very next day it started raining and they were one of the very few farmers in our area that were able to get it out and then you know I'm sure the farmers would have liked they got it out a lot sooner but by them not being able to get it out like they wanted to that pushed that the planting of them beans back even further which is going to be even better for us because it'll allow those beans will be that draw for that much longer you know so you know it might be that we were talking about how that early season for me you know kind of starts changing that first week second week in October it very well may be that I'm still focusing on those wheat beans into those first two weeks of October because of the fact that they got in so late so you know you you know every year is different every year is different depending on the weather and and what the farmers are able to do as far as that goes if you're you know counting on hunting you know farm ground uh, that's tillable that somebody's making a living off of so yeah you're, you're counting on them to, to provide the food for the deer at, at you know if you have permission pieces or whatever and then you know it does vary from year to year you got to be able to adapt to what's going on based off every season and if you're able to read it like you know you had already talked about and then you were noticing it too right then you're going to be better off because then it's going to be able to help you plan that strategy going into that early season and you were saying something about geese yeah so geese geese love like bean sprouts just the the plant itself whenever there's actually a whole whole another podcast on <laughs> molt migration is those one to two year old non-breeding birds? Um, the, they hang out in larger groups and they won't even fly north um, for a while. That's why in the springtime, 
when everything's you know real green or whatever you'll notice there's a bunch of geese around here well right around june all of a sudden you'll see big big groups of geese flying north and that's because they're going up to iowa to eat bean sprouts and it's just it's kind of crazy how everything kind of goes together but beans I imagine them same geese were loving it in the same fields and because i see how they tear that winter weed up too. oh yeah no they they destroy winter. Yeah. and that's i know a lot of farmers complain about that i know that's I how i farmers, got a lot of goose hunting permission because I, <laughs> I always tell them hey they're gonna tear up your wheat and they do and they eat a lot of trash seeds and any kind of uh like area that it's a little bit flooded or whatever there's usually cockleburrs or you know just nut sedge or whatever they eat that and then what's going to happen they're going to fly out in that wheat field eat wheat crap out the seeds and then it's going to continue to be a cycle right then you got then you have a lot uh worse of a weed problem and your wheat's destroyed so i might as well go in there and kill those geese for you Yeah, no, leave it to Travis to start a waterfowl podcast on early season uh, whitetail. Right. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was I just, thinking the same thing. Who really cares about them geese? Right? <laughs> You'd be surprised. You would be surprised, yeah. Matt, man. Hey, <laughs> I have yet to see one with a big old rack on its head. Yeah, I, hey, I, I almost agree with you, but I haven't bit that bug, you know. But those bands, though, those no bands. Ba- <laughs> yeah, I, you know, them bands are hard to see mounted on the wall from very far away. Yeah, but. but when you walk into my basement, you don't have too much trouble seeing them horns. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just giving their you, own. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, buddy. I know it's a lot of fun. I've done it myself. Oh, man. It is, too. It's which... it's anything, you know, it gets in your blood like that. It right. has to do with hunting and camaraderie of hunting with your friends. You know, I, I know before we jump out of his early season, you know, whitetail hunt. Oh, I'll, I'll get you, us roped back in. Don't you worry. <laughs> that, you know, for me, rabbit hunting, you know, with my buddies is always a lot of fun because you got your dogs, you know, and then you got the camaraderie. And there's not a whole bunch of pressure on you. You know, if you miss a rabbit, they might razz you. Right. But, you know, you don't. Like for me, if I were to miss a big buck, and that has happened, uh, frustration. Oh, not just frustration, man. I'm down. I'm down right. on myself for you know weeks. I've hung my bow up and been done for the year before. I've been so upset about it, you know. So you know, I figure if I couldn't shoot any better than that, I didn't need to be shooting at them. And you know, that's not really the way to do it. You need to get back up on the on the horse yep. and, and you know keep going. You know, things happen, but. Uh, you know, you misjudge yardage or you could hit a twig and change the flight of your arrow or a lot of things could happen. But um, I know we're getting really off subject here, but you actually had some really good advice for me when I was starting to hunt and stuff like that. And uh, you said that rabbit hunting really helped your your game as far as shooting deer. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit as far as, you know, what you told me, the advice that you gave me. I don't even know what advice I gave you. you know? <laughs> oh, shit. I got so much good advice, <laughs> I don't even remember I, it. I can, I can think of two or three different ways that it can help, but I don't know what you're what you're looking for. Well, I, I'm looking for, you know, your thoughts on it because, honestly, you know, I'm sure you can spin it three, four, five different ways. Well, I'll, so. tell you, I'll tell you what, I, what pops to mind and what I think I probably told you. And, you know, a lot of times – if I'm hunting with multiple friends and multiple dogs, where you know, I usually tell everybody to bring a shotgun uh, just for safety factors. But, you know, I would say that you're probably thinking of, uh, you know, when we go out there with a 22 rifle with a scope on it and we kill rabbits that way. And usually when I do that, it's just with one other friend, you know, or by myself. 
and my dogs. And, and what that does is it allows you to acquire your target. If you can acquire a rabbit running through the brush in your scope, which, you know, and then get to crosshairs on it and kill it, then you ought to be able to hit a big buck running out, you know, if you accidentally jump him up on the way in or out of your stand or what have you. Uh, so it helps you with the shooting aspect is probably what I told you. Yeah, that I, I uh, that's it. I've never even uh, been rabbit hunting with just with a scope 22, but I had a, a buddy um, that I grew up with, and he always he had his dogs in shape and and ran, was running them pretty regular, and he'd go out with a six shot revolver 22. And now that's just, a different hunt. We do that too. Yeah, yeah he'd with wait. Our pistols, he'd but. wait until they they stopped. You know, they're always going to run in a circle. He'd wait until they stopped about the third round and he'd pop one and he said he does you know there's several yeah. days that he'd go out and kill a full limit like that yeah usually late in the season you know my buddies and i after we've you know shot all we don't like to shoot a lot of rabbits anymore we, we like for the dogs to run them we'll shoot a few for them you know but later on in the season once we've given rabbits to everybody we know and nobody wants anymore we don't really want to kill a whole lot so we will start taking our pistols and if you kill if you were to ever kill your limit, which I don't know that I ever have, I think I've killed four or five a time or two, and that's been a, a fabulous day, you know, right. with a pistol. But uh, it, it's a lot of fun, too. You know, uh, <laughs> you got to be careful, obviously, you know, when you're anytime. And that's the thing with the rifle I was talking about, you know, that, that bullet can ricochet or whatever. You have to be very conscious of where the dogs are. And if you have another hunter with you, uh, where they're at and that's one of the reasons why when i have multiple dogs and multiple hunters i i tell the guys man we're taking shotguns you know no 22s but is that what you were talking about Stephen? acquiring the target yes absolutely and you guys did a great job of covering it but i feel like we're getting into a whole different mess oh, of yeah. things and i'm gonna yeah. make a hard transition here yeah hard transition let's do it jump so uh you know you kind of told us about the food sources that you like to hunt in the early season, you, you know, mention the time frame of when you believe early season is and, and when to target those food sources. Now, um, and without saying so, I said without saying that, you know, that after that first or second week of October, you know, you can switch to hunting acorns because I said that's where the deer are going to be. You know, that's how come they're not coming out so early. So if you know where there's a good acorn source and, and, hone in on them yeah, do you, i mean we're gonna keep getting off on tangents but do you find that like uh whenever because i mean for instance there's certain properties that are just filled with acorn trees is there i mean how do you narrow that down at all is there a good answer for that yeah really? there's a pretty good answer for it actually you know uh time spent in the woods one will will give you something but Without the time spent in the wood, just, you know, if you do a little bit of scouting, you boots on the ground, you know, you spend a little time and you walk and you look in that transitional zone, you know, where they're staging, you will see where they're eating those acorns. You will see just the holes or you'll see where there's crunched up acorns where they've not eaten the whole acorn. Some of it's fell out of their mouth and then you will see their poop as well under, underneath it and you'll see the leaves disturbed and and you know the area opened up i'll tell you that uh deer are pretty 
they're, I don't want to say they're lazy, but, you know, uh, a lot of times they'll take that path of least resistance. Well, they kind of do the same thing with acorns. And if you have an, uh, a tree, whether it be a white oak or, or whatever it is that's dropping some really good acorns and they're hitting on it, if it happens to be on the edge of a field and that field edge is <clears throat> doesn't have like it's bare dirt, you know, a lot of times you'll see bare dirt if there's not a lot of weeds growing. Well, them acorns are pretty doggone easy to find, you know. A lot of times you can be walking along and it's like crunch, crunch, crunch. You know, it's almost like you're walking on gravel sometimes. And those deer will definitely vacuum them up like a Hoover vacuum sweeper, you know, because they're easy to find. Sponsored by Hoover. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. No, that's really good stuff, you know. it For me, it, it always, you get a little overwhelmed when you walk in and you got 50 white oaks around you. It's like, right. hmm. Where should I set up my bow stand that I right. can shoot and that, and that, forty you, hours? Yeah, you just you asked a question before I could get to it because I was I was wondering the same thing. And uh, do you notice like bigger oaks, like old well, oaks? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, you know, in my younger days, uh, you know, before I could actually afford, you know, several deer stands and, and you know portable stands, when I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, and I was out, and even you know, a few years past that, I would find those big white oaks, you know, that had those limbs on them that were as big around as your waist. Right. And I would climb up those trees and just sit on a limb, you know, and I shot a lot of deer and a few good bucks, you know, really good bucks out of trees like that, you know, just sitting on a limb. Now, I'm not advocating that. It's not necessarily the safest thing to do. I've also fallen out of two of them like that. Uh, you know, one of them, the, the branch, it was, a, and I was just kind of more or less kind of standing on one and it, the other was just about the right height to put my butt on, but not quite. So I had, you know, maybe a portion of my weight on it enough that when it broke off <laughs> and it was a, a dead lamb, you know, and I knew it was dead. Um, so I wasn't sitting on it. Uh, but when it broke off, there wasn't nothing for me to grab and down I went and, you know, I was young and fortunate enough i hit and rolled and, and I mean, all as well but it could have been bad yeah right. young young folks always testing the limits and and common sense told you you know you you knew it was a risk what you're going into but nowadays it seems like it's there's a lot more people are a lot more safe they're no oh, yeah this is long before you had safety harnesses yeah. and all those good things yeah, this is this is back in the day when there was really no safety rules or. Would you say lessons. thirty-five millimeter? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> you boys are funny. <laughs> okay, okay. So, you know, you get we got the we talked a little, actually a little bit about the October Lowell food sources, how to find them, and how to distinguish, you know, between acorn trees and and what to to go after. You talked about early season food sources, and we talked about. Uh, early season and what you think the dates are now i want to talk about how you hunt the early season we're going to get into everything early season matt but the question i have is is when is your favorite time of the day to hunt in the early season let me me back up just a little bit and tell you that there's a there's a a few other things that you know are outside just your regular acorns and your wheat beans and stuff like that you know, there's a few places I can think of that I hunted, and I still can hunt, that have a little grove of persimmon trees. 
Hey, know. I'm all about the persimmons. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Waterfowl podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, just I'm about saying, to hijack this thing. You know, there's always, you know, these there's something outside the norm there, you know, but it is a draw, you know, and then orchards or alone. One time I was sitting in a tree and it was in a, a, a great place. Uh, it was a pinch point of sorts, and it had a, a water side, a water source on one side that the deer could not cross. It was a, a bigger body of water, and uh, it had the, a feeder creek that came up, and it actually started, and it was like a ditch. It dropped off, so they walked around the end of it, and they had to walk between it and the water source, so it kind of funneled them anyway. But I was sitting in a tree one day, and, and uh, I had seen a lot of deer, you know, from this stand. I'd already seen deer that day. And I noticed this thing in the tree hanging there. And I thought, what in the world is that? You know, it looks like a pear. And I'll be damned if it wasn't, you know. And it was out in the middle of the woods, not too far from the edge of, of a field, maybe 50 yards or so. But I'm thinking there must have been, you know, 100 years ago, there must have been an old homestead here somewhere or something, something close for there to be a pear tree here. But there was, once I got on the ground and, and did a little bit of looking, you know, uh, there was no pears to be found, but there was proof positive, proof that there had been some pears there and the deer had already eaten them, you know, the ones that hit the ground. Oh. So obviously that became one of my favorite stands. Uh, and I, I no longer can hunt place but uh you know that that happens too you know so what he's saying is is get out there plant some pear trees you're gonna kill some big bucks (laughs) i'm just saying that it's not always the acorns or the wheat beans you know sometimes it could be the persimmons or it could be an orchard an apple orchard you know or a lone pear tree out in the middle of you know nowhere where you wouldn't think to find one but uh just things like that you know if you find something like that you know and you can focus on it if you can tell that the deer have been using it you know that's, that's some quality info right there right definitely i i agree with it 100 percent. and uh you know i i've seen some success in the early season with persimmon trees just lone persimmon trees being in a nice area it's funny how them persimmon trees work man they they most generally they there be a if you take a little time to look around there won't just be one you know yeah, there might be one usually... great big mama you know, persimmon tree, but there'll be several other little ones around there, you know, most of the time, you know, maybe 15 or 20 of them. Not always, but a lot of times it'll be a little grove. And they seem to like moisture. I know that uh, at least they're moisture hardy. I don't know if they necessarily like moisture or if they're just hardy to it. I know where where I used to live, where Stephen lives now, there is a persimmon tree growing, I mean, absolutely. You can't get much more moisture. No, it's in the (laughs) edge of the lake. Well, I just bought a new house, and there's probably 20 persimmon trees all the way around it. And this pond's like two foot deep. I'm going to mow all the grass and stuff coming out of it. And what it's... The best wood duck hunt I've ever had (laughs) were around persimmon trees around ponds. So I'm just saying. (laughs) I think what we're saying is a food source is a food source is a food source for a lot of wild game. That's solid. That's solid. (laughs) What are we doing here? Trying to get that that microphone. Matt's over here stretching, eating pecan ice cream, and drinking Kool-Aid. We're just having a hell of a time here on the podcast. That's what happens when you get old, boys. That's what happens. Got to stay in good shape for the early opener, you know? Absolutely. It's the small things. So, 
with all the food sources and the time of the year, when do you try to hunt these deer? When do you find you have the best luck um, during the day? Is it do you primarily hunt Man, mornings, I, afternoons? And I know you know the answer to this, but I I don't morning hunt at all in the early season because most generally, and this isn't the case all the time. Now, if I got if I have a buck that is a silly buck uh, and he is out there in the morning in the you know daylight hours where i can see him and my cameras tell me that or i see it with my binoculars from afar or whatever it is then i will in fact take a chance you know and go after that buck but that doesn't happen very often i mean it doesn't happen very often at all so most generally i will not take a chance on educating or blowing that buck out of the area and teaching him that i'm hunting him um and i'll just hunt evenings yeah i just hunt evenings and evenings alone and that's you know maybe that's just me i'm not i'm not saying that's the right thing to do but that's what i've found works best for me now at this point um you know you've you've done a lot of different things to uh, trial and error and, and you've got the experience uh have you noticed on your cameras that you just wait for that right time and your cameras are showing, okay, he's starting to get closer to daylight, boom, he's in daylight, I'm diving in? Or were you literally doing something different to try to figure out when he's going to come out in daylight? I'm not sure what you're, what you're saying here. Is he, you see, my thing is, is most of the time any self-respecting 150-inch or better buck is already in his bed curled up and resting good before the sun gives you enough light to shoot. I mean, that's in, in, in the first couple weeks of the season. That's usually the case. Now, if you have an area where there is absolutely zero pressure and this place is a mile in from any road and nobody's been in there at all for a year, then it's possible. I mean, it happens. I mean, I, I hear about it from every so often somebody killing a nice buck in the morning but when that happens i immediately think to myself what stray dog got that buck off off his bed or kept him from getting to his bed what farmer went in to get a tractor and changed that route of that deer getting back to his bed that morning and put him behind you know because that's the kind of stuff that happens so i'll tell you that if you're a diehard hunter you know, the thing to do is to be in the stand because you never know when any one of those things may happen. But for me, it's it's not worth the risk. You know, the risk-reward factor is just not there, you know, because most of the time he's not going to be late getting back to his bed because of one of those reasons. And you're taking a chance on educating him by going in before daylight and him he can see you and smell you and you can't see him you could be walking right up on him unless you got night vision you know and i just i won't take that chance okay yeah no so that pretty much covers the morning aspect of it but i mean are i i guess are you hunting every day in the afternoons or are you just pretty much i mean you know i i do when i and over the years yes now um as i've gotten older and more selective in my hunting uh the last few years i i don't hunt every day you know it takes a pretty good buck you know to get me out there you know i'm gonna spend more time glassing 
uh, in the evenings rather than in the in the stand. I'm going to find that buck. Once I find him, then I'm hunting every day. You know, if I if I know he's in there in an area that I can hunt, then yes, I'm hunting every day. If I don't know he's in there, well, I'm not just going to keep going in there, sitting in the stand, hoping he comes by in the early season. That to me is a waste of time. I'm going to find him. I'm going to find him either by moving cameras around. If he's not on one of the cameras I've already got, I'm going to start shifting cameras into different areas looking for him. And I'm going to start glassing in the evenings, you know, different food sources that I know are drawing deer. Uh, and that's how I'm going to find him. And once I find him, then I'm going to make a game plan and, uh, you know, hopefully kill him. Yeah, no. And you do eventually get on him. And I do have a few questions out of that answer. And the the big question is is you said you're going to be moving around trail cameras. Any any hunter nowadays is going to be like, ooh, but you're putting too much pressure on the property. Is there a method you use to going and checking your trail cameras or moving them Man, around that there's you several, get away with it a little bit yeah, better than others? Yeah, there is, and and I can't let those go, you know, because I like for these other hunters to spook those deer into my hunting area. <laughs> so I really don't want to let that information go, Stephen. But uh, I guess in the for the podcast, yeah. I mean, I mean look yeah. at Travis; he's yeah, just fiending he's just for that information. We don't hunt in the same area. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that that can help with that. You know, in years past, man, I have I have went so far as to, you know, I'm totally no it, You know, wearing the rubber gloves and and doing all of those things to keep my scent down. Um, but nowadays, it's not so much. I might still be concerned with my scent somewhat but not as much as I used to and what I do is I I run most of them off the back of a four-wheeler because I can pull right up to the tree or wherever I have them and I never had to put my feet on the ground I can do it from the seat of the four-wheeler a lot of times if I'm just running now when I initially put them out you know I may have to that would be when I wear my rubber boots and maybe a little more concerned with some scent. You're chopping down weeds or, you know, certain limbs that may blow in front of your camera and so on and so forth. But once you get that done, usually, Stephen, that is done way back May or June. You know, uh, this year is a little different for me, but usually it's done far enough back that I'm not even real concerned with the scent. Then I'd go in and do what I have to do to clear the camera's shot path and then from then on, you know, I can go in and run it from the back of a four-wheeler. And a lot of times, um, I'm, I'll just say that a couple places that I hunt, uh, the farmers that farm those places, they run side-by-sides or four-wheelers, and they're in there checking their crops, and they're riding around those field edges and stuff all the time. So the deer are accustomed to hearing that four-wheeler or side-by-side, and they don't really spook to it. You know, I, I've drove right by them in their beds and had them just look at me when I go by, you know, thinking that I'm that farmer, you know. Um, so I, that's how I do it. I, I do it that way, and that seems to work for me. Just be the farmer, and uh, deers are none the wiser? That's right. Now, we kind of we, we talked a lot about the early season and uh you mentioned that you don't hunt every day as much anymore which in my opinion is is the smart thing unless you're bouncing around from different places but uh is there a certain 
weather situation or forecast in the early season that you're looking for to really try to get in to hunt a buck? Well, you know, it's kind of the same way with, like, if I'm moving those cameras and or, you know, a lot of times I hang a stand the night that I hunt, you know, and uh, every night I hunt, I hang a stand. But there, I have certain hang-on stands that are in pinch points that are there for the rut, and they stay up. Uh, there's a few others that are situated around some food sources that also – uh, stay up because I know the deer bed here and they're going to come here to get to the food source and most time they're going to be within bow range but a specific buck if I have to you know I spotted him in an area that I don't have any stands up that are going to work for him then I'm hanging a stand that night uh, and as far as the weather goes I always look for a time when it's going to rain or it's actually raining mist and drizzle is a great time to hunt you know when it's been hot for a while maybe even hot and dry and then you get that slow misty cool day where it i mean there is no better hunt for me and uh one of the reasons why i'll tell you too is it's just like travis i know you know dogs you know uh, waterfowl hunting and labs and and beagles and bird dogs and so on and so forth and you know if the if it's super duper dry it's a lot harder if it's dry and hot it's a lot harder for a dog to get that scent and hold that scent you know they'll struggle at times but if it's a little bit of moisture you know and not you know not pouring down rain but a little bit of moisture or drizzle man them dogs can smell like there's no tomorrow and those deer are the same way it makes it a lot easier to find those acorns that are leaf covered and persimmon they can smell better you know and they also tend to move earlier and longer in the mornings before they go to bed and earlier in the afternoons and sometimes you know they move all day you know it's just that you don't see them because they're not out in the open they get up out of their beds and they'll move you know 40 50 yards and i know this from you know years and years of hunting from before daylight until after dark you know being in the tree all day long and a lot of times if i if i was going to make a move during the day where i was setting all day and i knew i was going to be setting all day that that move would happen in the middle of the day and there's a lot of times that i couldn't move i might want to move 75 yards because i've seen all the deer activity from the stand all going on over there just out of bow range and so i'll make that move on a, on the day that I can but a lot of days when it's misty drizzle like that I can't make that move because deer are moving all day long you know and I'm afraid to get busted you know in the middle of that move so I'll say that that is probably the best weather condition for me is when it drops off cool I'm ready I'm gonna interject here and also say something that maybe you hadn't thought about maybe you have but uh I know with running hounds days that the ground is warmer than the air dogs can smell better so and i'm sure it's the same with deer so whenever uh like if a cold front comes in let's say it's you know 45 degrees one day and then the next morning pow it's you know 28 or whatever that scent is going to be coming up off the ground and they're going to be able to smell it a lot lot better yep yep no doubt about it so you know good stuff man that's that's my thought process you know and then you know you also have um storm fronts you know the storm front itself you know that you know the barometer uh you know 
when the storm's coming in, them deer are on the move a lot of times, you know, and it's and that that holds true from early season all the way through the season, you know. Uh, the moon also plays a big role, uh, believe it or not. You know, I, um, in my early days, I I I didn't buy a lot into the moon having as much effect on a deer as what it does, but it it does have a mighty effect on them uh, at certain times of the month, and I found that to be true when I when I moved as a young man uh, to the country. I just lived in town for a couple of years when I first got married, and then I, I moved out into the country where where actually where you live at now, Stephen. And my drive home, I would get off work at two thirty, and at I would hit my gravel road about three o'clock. And I'd be going down that road, and I would see the deer out in the field, you know, feeding at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, it was all about that moon, you know. So uh, there's a lot of factors that play into, you know, the perfect day to to hunt. Um, but I guess, you know, I like it wet. Okay. Well, I mean, that's... That's got its own advantages, obviously, what you mentioned, but lot, also just... A lot quieter walking Yeah, in. that's what I was going to say. Is It's super, super quiet whenever you're walking in in the woods. And um, just, I don't know if you maybe answered this already, but is there a certain area after a good rain or mist that you're trying to be in? Um, I don't know. You just notice it's pretty much everywhere. I don't know if there's a certain area. You know, if I'm hunting a specific buck, it you know there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason why I'm there. Yeah. But in my younger days, you know, I would use that to get, you know how I talked about boots on the ground and watching what's going on as far as finding a specific tree that the deer were focusing on for acorns or what have you. You might spend a day or two you know, setting and looking to find where they're focusing on those acorns inside that staging area or what have you. And you might find out that they're actually eating pawpaws or persimmons or whatever, but uh, it takes a day or two, you know. So in order for me to get inside that timber very far and not jump something up or whatever, that wet, you know, light rain, misty type deal the ground is wet. It's not crunch, crunch, crunch. You can sneak in deeper into the timber than what you've been able to uh, without spooking anything. So I might use a day like that at that time, you know, to get a little deeper into the, the timber and see what's going on inside that staging area, where they're coming from, um, you know, so I can back myself up. And... <laughs> I guess what I mean by back myself up is, you know, you might have to spend a few days in order to get within shooting range of a particular buck. You know, you see him uh, coming into the field, but it's just too dark to see, too dark to shoot, you know, ethically, you know, you can't see through your peep sight or whatever, um, but you know it's that buck from cameras or him walking under, you know, a lot of times I can see with my optics, like, you know, I I have some Leopold binoculars, you know, like 10 by 50s, and, and if I cut my eyes and block all the outside remaining light, I can almost see in the dark with those things, you know, and if the deer walks 
20 yards from me, I can see him. I can see his rack, but there's no way in the world I can make an ethical shot on him. So I've had that happen a lot. And then so I know he came out here and I need to back myself up, meaning um, get inside. Okay, I'm going to get back the next hunt. I might try to get, you know, to where he came out or within shooting distance of where he came out on a downwind side, obviously where he can't smell me. And then even at that point, it may still be too dark. So, but I might be able to tell where he was coming from inside the timber where I couldn't tell the day before. So then I'm going to back myself up another 50 or 75 yards to where I saw him coming from. And eventually I'm going to back myself up into shooting light. And if he does what he has been doing for three or four days in a row, he's a dead deer. You know, that's what will happen. That's great stuff. And, uh, I, I know we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast, but I want you to reiterate it a little bit. In the early season, what wins are you keen on, and, and how are you setting up on these field edges? Well, I mean, you know, predominantly you know that the wind's going to be coming out of the south in early season. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, you talked about earlier about, you know, well, what days, you know, blah, 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 and I said, well, you know, a storm front coming in or whatever – if you happen to catch a north wind and that cold front and that storm front all at the same time, then that's when you like, and that does happen occasionally, you know, but uh, not always. But when it does, I want to be in the woods somewhere, you know, for sure. And as far as the, the fields, you know, um, there's certain places in the field that the deer are going to come out first. You know, it's always that shaded corner. You know, where the sun's dropping, it's going to leave one side a little more shaded than the other. And depending on how the field is situated, it'll be different for everybody. But everybody knows that the sun comes up over here and it sets over here. So with that in mind, you think about the way that whatever field you're hunting uh, is situated and what corner is going to be the corner that when the woods are dropping, this is going to be the first corner to have shade. It's going to be the first corner to start cooling off and you'll find out that uh that's where the deer are going to come out a lot of times but if if all factors are 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 in favor meaning that if that side over there is up against the gravel road or a house is over there with some barking dogs then it may not work for you but given that the field is in the middle of a block of uh you know there's not a gravel road anywhere close or a house or what have you then that's the way it'll work. Yeah, nothing's guaranteed in in hunting, but uh, anything to increase the odds. Well, that's that, what we're looking for, and that I will think, increase the odds. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, all right. So we have covered a bunch about the early season, and I just got a couple more questions and for you. And some about rabbit hunting, and some about geese. <laughs> <laughs> some about ducks. Some, some about geese. <laughs> some about shooting and acquiring a target. Yeah. Hey. Season is almost here, and I think we're all pretty excited about it. Oh, I'm I'm fired up. Whether it be waterfowl or deer or whatever you know, it I, is, I, I I'm spend, excited. I I do all this other hunting throughout the year, whether it be rabbit hunting or duck hunting or quail hunting or whatever it is. But it's all just to pass the time to get to this time of year. It's all just to get here. Oh, here we are. Or we're pushing it. I mean, is it? It's close. middle of August. We're about a month out. Well, we got you know, twenty-six if, more days till teal season, and oh my 20, gosh, here we go. Twenty-nine days until uh, twenty. Yeah, 20. or thirty. All I know is, if you're a serious archer, and uh, I think you know, 
if you're listening to this, you probably are. Right. And then you will have been shooting your bow for a month or two at this point, at least, you know, and I'm, when I say shooting your bow for, for me, it's always been every day, at least a few arrows, you know, if it's just three arrows, I'm going to make it happen. You know, I mean, I've, I, my wife's laughed at me before because we've gone somewhere or done something and the sun is dropping and it's almost dark and we're, we're pulling the driveway and, and I go running for the house and she's like, what is going on? I got to get my bow. You know, I got five minutes left before it's too dark to see to shoot just so I can get those, you know, and that's all a matter of conditioning yourself. And for me, that's the best time to practice as well is that, that fading light. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm only going to get to shoot three arrows, that's when I would, choose to shoot them is just as it's getting almost too dark to shoot you know because nine times out of ten that's when my shot is going to happen you know that's that's some quality stuff right there man quality stuff so we talked a little bit about putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be on a on a mature buck in the early season now i kind of want to talk about some of the tactics that you might encounter so i'm just curious you know how much are you calling during the early season is is calling tactics something that you utilize often in the early season how effective has it been for you well it's been real effective for me you know over the years and i'll tell you that it kind of changes as as the caliber of deer that you're hunting changes as well um i'll say that for 97 percent of the hunters out there you know guys that are just looking to kill a pope and young buck you know 125 inch buck um calling is is definitely a tactic to be doing in the early season i mean the very first day you know um, even rattling you know a lot of guys will say you know i don't rattle or whatever uh, until bucks start well you know what they're already sparring they're already tinkling with each other you know not necessarily serious fighting but there's a pecking order and you know those bachelor groups that you've been watching all summer long they start breaking up you know after the season starts they start breaking up a little more and more if there's five of them in there you know on september 15th you might notice there's only four and then as you get closer to that october 1st when i talked about earlier in the podcast you know about the october move a lot of that has to do with that hierarchy a lot of it has to do with prime ground that the buck chooses as his ground you know the the biggest baddest boy is going to get the best hunting area with the best cover and the best does and so on and so forth that's going to be where he's going to be but they're going to start dispersing and sometimes that comes through that sparring becomes a little more serious and that means you know get the hell off my turf and they start running each other off so to think that putting horns together uh you know right out the gate is not a good tactic would be wrong you know i can even tell you that uh, i killed one opening day one time a really good buck and uh, another time I passed on a really good buck that, you know, most people, you know, back in the early days, I would have shot him, I guarantee you, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I shot him in a heartbeat, but um, looking for a little better buck. But I'll tell you that uh, I had a decoy out open, opening day, uh, put a decoy out and uh, I actually thought this buck got by me and I was rattling my, my butt off and I wasn't rattling real, real hard, but I was... I'd grunt it and grunt it, and they were just to where they could hear me. You know, they would stop and look my way, but they were headed 
towards the crops you know they were headed towards the field and they were going along the edge of the timber in a cow pasture and they jumped the fence and they went down through a little uh grove and they crossed the creek and they started up uh this hill that has a lot of oaks and stuff on it has a little path that the deer take a lot of times and they go up top of the hill and then there's another fence and there's crops well once they had jumped that first fence i knew my odds of bringing them back was was getting worse and then once they crossed the creek it's kind of like turkeys you know it's hard to call one across the fence and a creek and all that you know well deer are the kind of the same way you know sometimes especially early season like that well they crossed the creek and up the hill they went and and i'm not lying i i sometimes i've been known to have a a, a wee bit of a temper you know and things didn't go my way and i thought son of a gun and i smoked them antlers man i mean i started busting them antlers so hard that i could actually smell the bone burning and grinding if you ever really grind on a pair of, of real antlers you can smell them you'll smell that smell of grinding and burning i mean i started smoking them to the point of breaking the tip off the antlers and i'll be damned if it didn't turn him around he come and charging up over through that creek up there and he couldn't there was a little dip and he couldn't see the way he was coming he couldn't see that decoy and when he did he got up, i quit when he started coming my way and when he got up there to the top of the hill i knew he should be able to see my decoy but he was looking around he couldn't see him because there was no movement on the decoy and so i kind of turned my head back the other way and just threw a little brant at him and he turned his head my way and he saw that decoy and i mean it was on he jumped the fence and when he went and jumped the fence i went into full draw and i smoked him just for he probably crushed my my i mean it was a, it was one of them deals you know and and uh this kind of hunt you dream of yeah you know it's just cool as could be and that was all due to rattling you know and it was opening day so it, it, it works it works and I, I wouldn't say that i do it all the time and and especially not smoking them to where i can hear them burn that happened because i thought they were gone that hunt was over i weren't i was going to have to make a move and hunt on hunt a different tree closer to where they went through the next night and so i figured i had nothing left to lose and i smoked them horns and, and i i can tell you i'll be the first to tell you that i i did not expect them to come back like he did but he thought some real deal was going down. And then once he seen that decoy, it was over. I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, obviously that is a scenario that doesn't happen all the time. I knew those bucks were there too, keep in mind. And where I set up, I knew I was a little outside their range. And that's why I had to decoy. Normally I would never be hunting with a decoy on opening morning. But I had been watching these bucks and I couldn't get to where they were and without i couldn't do it safely without fear of spooking them i wasn't exactly sure where they were bedding inside the timber but i knew they were coming out on that edge and i knew they were going down that field line and that was as close as i could get it's about 75 yards off from that field edge maybe 100 and it was just a little too far and you know for them to and they couldn't see the decoy when they were going down that line either you know the way i had it positioned i thought that they could but after i shot the deer I walked over to where they had walked and looked back at my stand and my setup and I couldn't see the decoy. And then I, you know, because I kept thinking they're, you know, why, why aren't they, you know, 
doing something for this decoy. There should be some kind of reaction to me grunting, you know, besides him looking my way and going, where are you at, buddy? Where are you at? And that's what they were doing. They were looking around like, and I'm thinking, why can't they see him? You know, um, well, they couldn't see him. Well, I think two big things come from that. And the fact is, is that you had a decoy out there, so they had something to look at. And the second thing was, is that it wasn't flat ground where they could see for a real long distance. So if you didn't have a decoy there, it was flat ground, they wouldn't have come in. But they couldn't see, so they were curious. Come back, oh, they see the decoy, boom, and had them. And they already heard you messing around. And yes. It, I, uh, I knew I, they were there in the area. I don't know if you ever uh, uh, heard about the guy. Um, he produced the Elk Nut app, and he calls it slow playing bulls. Whenever you, you know, in the early bow season for bulls, they're not, you know, they're they're starting to get juiced up, but they don't, you know, it's not breeding time. And sometimes you got to start out by, you know, making a cow noise and then make, maybe waiting five minutes, making a cow noise, and then maybe just rake some brush, you know, just like subtle things that it instead of, you know, it's like an argument, instead of just yelling, you know, hey, you know, at somebody, then if they don't want to fight, then they're going to walk away. But if you, you know, start out. It's like a couple guys mouthing in the bar all night. Right, right. Everybody's going to start looking. If you're now mouthing. we're talking and, about bar fights. And it's building up <laughs> and building up and right. building up. And then finally, whenever you crack them antlers right. together, finally he already had it in the back of his mind that there was something going on over there. Yeah. And he's like, man, the, people are throwing down. I want a piece of this. I want to yeah. go see it. Yeah. Right. I want to yeah. go check it out. Yep. Right. Who doesn't love a good bar fight? You know, and I think, you know, with rattling, that's good. But, I mean, are you grunting are you, are at all? Or are you doing anything that's uh, anything else besides just just rattling? I mean, I'm sure there's other things you're so doing you, out so there in the early jump, season. You jump straight from the good bar fight and who doesn't like it being me, number one, to are you just grunting? or <laughs> Are you talking about the bar fight? Right. Yeah, <laughs> grunting, trying to get away? Uh, no you know most generally yeah that's that's exactly it i'm i'm i am grunting and and you know travis you were talking about you know calling and not necessarily you know most things that you hunt that you call you know be turkey or geese or duck or whatever you're fairly successful and i feel like it'll be the same way with whitetail once you learn the tactics that go along with it and i'll tell you that you know starting out um you know i'll grunt lightly you know because you don't necessarily know how close the deer are and sound carries and depending on you know if the wind is blowing and the leaves are rustling and so on and so forth but on a still morning or a still afternoon you know that sound carries pretty good and you know just a simple little you know is enough you know most of the time i'll grunt a couple of times because the first one you know, if you're watching the deer and you can see their reaction, that's one thing too. You know, if you're blind calling, that's another. You know, when you're blind calling, what I mean by that is you don't see any deer and you're throwing a call out there hoping to draw some deer into your vision or your hunting area. Um, but if you're calling and you you see the deer and you can tell by the way they're walking or whatever that they're not going to be coming into your hunt zone you're shooting your capabilities uh you know i'm bow hunting here you know because most time with the rifle if you see them they're probably shootable um not always especially if you hunt timber but um so the deer is walking away from you or an angle that's not gonna 
come into your shoot zone, you grunt, you can tell whether they hear you or not. They're either going to stop and look your way or they're going to keep walking, obviously, like they never heard you because they didn't. So then you grunt a little bit louder. And then if they stop and they look your way, you know, they may very quickly, before you can do anything, they may look another way and then another way, you know, just off your angle just a little bit, you know, to the left of you or to the right of you. You know, they're looking to see that silhouette, that outline of another deer and or that movement of another deer. They're looking to find the deer that made that noise. So if I'm well concealed and not worried about being seen, you know, 25 foot up in a tree or in a blind or whatever it may be that you're hunting, I'll throw another ground immediately so that he can hone in on me and have a line on me. And then once he starts coming my direction, I'm done. You know, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, turkey hunting, I think they call too much. You know, they like to hear themselves call. You know, they may be great callers, you know, and so they you know, continue to call. But if that turkey's coming your way, you know, the best advice I can give you is to shut up, Mm -hmm. you know, and it would be the same with deer hunting because you don't want him to know exactly where you are. You don't want him to look at you up in the tree or in your blind because then how are you going to draw your bow? You know, how are you going to, you know, get it done? You know, so you want him to keep coming in your area, but to keep looking for you, you know, where he doesn't see you. So obviously when he looks the other way, you can draw your bow or whatever the case may be. Um, but if he stops or starts heading away in another angle, then I throw another little grunt at him, you know. So that's visually having, you know, being able to call and you just call with their reaction, you know, when you need to. Um there's all kinds of different calling, you know, there's a snort wheeze, you know, that I don't use a lot, but I have used. Um, I've heard Steven do it, you know, with his mouth, you know, just, you know, on his own, and he doesn't do too bad a job, but it's a call that you don't use a lot, you know, and it's a call that you use for mature bucks, you know, you very, you can easily run off a 130-inch buck if there's a 150, 160-inch buck in the neighborhood. And you do that, he's going to think it's that buck and his his butt's gone. You know, he's already had a horn in his butt a time or two and he doesn't want it again. You know, um, so, and what I mean by that is when they're, when they're sparring and fighting, you know, the one that loses, normally, you know, when he pulls, when they pull their horns apart and he turns to run, he usually gets a horn in the, in, in his back of his thigh, you know, an area. And I've killed deer, you know, that when I skinned them out, you know, they've had that. And that kind of let me know, shoot, I shot the wrong buck. Right. <laughs> you know, there's somebody whooped his butt here. You right. Know? Um, but then the blind calling is another thing as well. And I do more like what you were talking about, the guy with the elk. You know, I set up a sequence, and I also hunt with a couple of different grunt calls, so there's different tones. I'll hit one call and answer with the other. You know, I do the same thing with turkey calling, so I can be more than one hen. You know, I'll have a couple of different mouth calls in my mouth, and then also have a slate call or something, and I'll call with one, and I'll cut it, cut it off with the other, you know. Same thing with the, with the deer calls. You know, I'll, I'll grunt with one and immediately grunt with the other. I do that when I'm, when I'm going into a rattle sequence, you know, one buck grunts, the other doesn't, and maybe even a snort wheeze at that time because there's two bucks together and one's trying to show dominance over the other. And then I smoke them horns and 
it works, man. Deer calling works. Anybody that says it doesn't is a fool. You know, as the rut comes in, I use a, a can call in sequence. You know, I'll do a doe bleat or a doe and estrogen bleat. And at the same time, I'll be back, 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 you know, like a deer. Uh, you know, if you've seen a buck get hot on a doe, uh, a lot of times he don't shut up. He just back, 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 back. But, you right, know, while he's chasing her. Right, and I've even, you know, had brush that I've cut down from the stand that I'm in or found a dead limb on the ground that I've actually tied a bow rope to or an extra long rope to. And when I get to rattling and stuff, I'll yank that rope and drag it so that I'm making noise on the ground. I'll make, I'm breaking brush and making noise on the ground. But also take my antlers, like kind of like what you were talking about, and I'll rake them against the tree before I ever smoke the horns to go into a a rattling sequence i'll rake those horns just like a deer rubbing a tree because a lot of times when two bucks are getting ready to go to battle you'll notice that they will rub a tree before they ever go into battle and what they're doing is they're kind of like them two boxers you know the guy's standing in the corner and he's throwing shadow punching you know he's warming up his muscles and and he's doing it those bucks that's their way of warming up their muscles and loosening up their neck when they're getting ready to go into battle you know i've had it when i've called them in before one time i can i can think of i was hunting uh outside of so outside of a little town where i used to live bleep that out yeah. bleep that out but my my point being uh, i was hunting this little place and I knew there was a good buck in there, and I was rattling and stuff, and, and he finally showed. And as he's coming my way, he gets about 50 yards from me, and he starts rubbing this sapling that is probably about as big around as my wrist, you know, maybe a little smaller, and he snapped a sunbuck off. It was about a 20, 15, 20-foot 20 tree, and it just fell over. I mean, it was, a, it was a live tree, and he broke that bad boy off. This dude had a neck on him the size of a Brahma bull, you know. And that just, that shattered me. I wasn't prepared for it. And, you know, like I'm always telling Stephen, you have to control that adrenaline rush. You know, you cannot allow that valve to open until the hunt is over. And if you do, and you let a little too much creep in, you're going to make bad decisions and you're going to make bad shot choices. So you have to keep that adrenaline valve shut, you know, until it's time to open it. And that time is after you've recovered the deer, actually, you know, but, or know you've made a, a killer great shot, you know, but I couldn't help myself when that tree fell over, it shook me. And uh, I, I took a shot on this buck, I actually shot him straight down, walking away, he came right, I had a, I had some scent hanging from my deer stand, I had, I had dropped it down to where it was about six or seven feet off the ground, um, and that deer walked right up and stuck his nose up and smelled that. And I mean, I'm, I'm right above him, you know, and then he turned to walk away and I thought it was, I should have waited, you know, for those young hunters out there. This is not a good shot. Shooting straight down is a horrible shot. Um, it, it's a horrible shot on the vitals. Um, if you happen to get lucky and catch the backbone, you'll drop them in their tracks. But if you don't, you go to one side or the other, you're only going to get one long. You may or may not get the heart or, you know, go beside it. You know, fact is you might not get a pass through and then you, you know, shooting up high like that. And that's what happened to me is I didn't get a pass through. I was, uh, hunting with a particular mechanical blade that, uh, when it opened, 
it took a lot of energy from the arrow uh, and it did not pass through the bottom of his brisket and so the blood trail you're counting on is on the very top of his back and he ran away with the arrow sticking out of the top of his back and the deer was recovered but it was weeks later and so it was not a it's not a really good success story you know but uh, I would have never taken that shot probably had I not allowed that adrenaline to seep in to seep in you know but he just he got me but my point being is they rub those trees you know in warm so i do that as well i i mock their behavior to the best of my ability so i'll rub those trees the tree i'm sitting with my antlers and one thing that i learned early on by accident as a matter of fact it was uh in the early part of the rut you know deer were rutting and there was a i'd hung a stand that night just like always and there was a limb that was you know probably half as big around as a as a soda can and i was sawing it off because it was in one of my shooting lanes and i was trying to be just as quiet as i could with this saw and so i was just like You know, just pulling that blade back across, just trying to cut as deep as I could with every slow cut. And damned if that didn't call him in because he thought it was another buck rubbing a tree. So I learned from that and I used that. I have a saw and, and a limb that I've already cut off, you know, so I don't have to worry about it falling, you know. And I use the stub that's left on the tree or what have you and I'll use that saw for rubbing like a deer rubbing a tree and it and it carries a little better than using the antlers and so on and so forth and then i'll smoke the antlers so that's a little tactic that i picked up just by accident you know that deer come in i was totally unprepared uh you know didn't have my bow in my hand like most generally i would have didn't have an arrow knocked you know had just got in the stand just hung it and you know i'm not even sure that i pulled my stuff up I, I guess i had i had pulled my stuff up but i was not prepared for the deer to come in and uh, i did not shoot that deer you know talk about some pro tips no right kidding. there my goodness i don't even know how to all that stuff just kind of went in and my brain's percolating at it right. that was some badass information yeah I, i'm I'm getting fired up just talking about it. I can't wait. It's just that stuff that happens over years and years of hunting, you know. You guys tease me about being old and this now. I'm not really that old for those of you that are listening. I mean, I'm old enough to have grandkids. He's so. only 35 millimeter old. Yeah. <laughs> 35 millimeter old. But, you know, there's a lot of years of hunting there. And, right. and you know, with all those years comes you know, learning experiences, not all of them successful, you know, but I know a lot of times, uh, things that I learned from that I, that I, I failed at, or, you know, uh, I don't forget them, you know, um, and a lot of times then later on, they become successful tactics. And reflect, I think reflecting on, you know, even if you had an unsuccessful hunt, I think reflecting on stuff is very important. The day or days after something happens, whether it's successful or not, mm. you know, it's really, like, really easy to... To a certain degree, it is. You know, if it's unsuccessful, it's like me telling you that I missed a buck or made a bad shot and I hung my bull up for the rest of the season. Now, that can be some hardcore reflecting. You yeah, know? but uh, at the same time, there's, you know, days that I went out and whenever i was first starting bird hunting and i was out in the marsh and didn't know did we just go back to didn't know what i was doing and 
I, the next few days I'm thinking now what what could I have done to actually you know kill birds or kill more birds or whatever and Absolutely. then you realize you start thinking about it and you're like well maybe I wasn't hidden so good and then you try that next time and it's just a step-by-step it's a learning process. experience absolutely well, something great that you said on the fir- first podcast we did together was the fact that you can't cheat wisdom and the only way you can cheat wisdom is by talking to somebody that's already been through there and mm-hmm. been through that experience age is wisdom and with age you have more time to have more experiences and with more experiences you can learn through those experiences is what he's talking about so you can't have all those experience in all those years of hunting if you're only 20 years old or only 25 years old but if you're knocking on 50s door and you've been hunting since 12, 13, 14 years old, then, you know, there's a lot of years there that you can do that reflecting that you're talking about or you learn along the way. Uh, sorry about that. No, you're all right. Phone ringing. But, um, and talking to people who have had that's the cheating experience with, is cheating. Learn, that's yeah. it. You know, it's like uh, the Bible tells you or, you know, certain people will tell you that, you know, you should respect your elders and learn from your elders. And that's, that's what it's all about. You know, you're learning, you're, you're learning from their experiences. If you can do that, that's how you cheat with, you know, that's how you become wiser at an earlier age. Cause you know, age is wisdom. And you know, if you're going to get that wisdom at an early age, then you need to be talking to some older people that have the experience and have learned from it and, thus have a certain amount of wisdom and don't let a bad hunt go to waste that's right that's right every hunt's a good hunt to me you know even an unsuccessful one like you were talking about you know i can definitely get down on myself or depressed about something that happened you know just because i worked so hard to be successful you know from shooting you know every day you know, every night, you know, months and months in advance, you know, to going out and, you know, I told you I hang a deer stand, you know, every time I hunt, you know, and that is true to a certain degree, but, you know, so doing that weeks ahead of the season, you know, going out and actually hang in your yard, you know, I don't care if you live in town, I did it when I was in town, but going out and actually having my gear and hanging my stand and pulling my stuff up and, and actually just like I was getting prepared to hunt allows me to work the kinks out of it before opening day because I can't afford for those kinks to be there. When I slide in on a good buck, you know, when I've located him and I make that move to go in and, and kill him, I can't afford to go, oh, shoot, I forgot this, or oh, shoot, that's too short, the rope's too short, or oh, shoot, I you know, I need to have those kinks worked out. So, to go and actually practice hanging that stand, pulling up your gear, getting everything ready is is another one of the things that, that I would suggest anybody that did that kind of hunting. Man. You know, I had a I had a lot of questions, but we're pretty deep now. We're about, you know, over an hour here and I know you got some things you gotta get done tonight. So uh we'll, we'll let you off the hook. But I really appreciate you coming on with short notice. Sure, sure, and, man. It's uh, good to be here. Man, I don't, I don't know what to say. This, this podcast went it beyond expectation. I mean, right? Well, good, good. I'm glad it was. Yeah, no, I really, learned, I learned a ton. Good stuff, well, and good. I can't wait to try it out this year. A lot of the stuff that you had to, 
to sure. give us you know i that can't wait to, to see your guys you know how your hunt unfolds for you, your year unfolds for you and uh, i look forward to seeing how you guys do yeah well I, I don't have anything else to say travis do you i'm good I'm what, gonna, what about this buck travis oh, we'll talk about that yeah, after we can, the episode yeah we can talk about that in a minute <laughs> all right man well okay. once again matt thanks for coming on Glad folks i hope you learned something from this if you didn't then you need to turn it up a little louder because there was a lot of good stuff in here but we'll see you on the next one right on